0: Moment. Ephesians chapter number two. I'm going to read down several verses, maybe four, and I'll pray and let you be seated. Ephesians chapter number two. I'm going to pick up in verse number one. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, <clears throat> and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, let's keep reading verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. That's repeated again, verse 8, for by grace are you saved? Let's ask the Lord to bless his word tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray your will would be accomplished through it. And Lord, help us to do our part through obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, the past few weeks we've been in Ephesians chapter 4, our theme verse comes out of Ephesians 4, and you'll find the overwhelming theme of the book of Ephesians really emphasizes the body of Christ, which is what we are focusing in on, our theme this year about being engaged. Every part maketh increase where the body of Christ comes together to do the job of the church. We see in Ephesians it emphasizes the body, and Colossians emphasizes the head, which is Christ. But... Uh, throughout the year of 2020, if the Lord tarries, and if he doesn't tarry, we don't have to worry about it, but if the Lord does tarry, we're going to be in Ephesians a lot as we look at the body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 2, we really begin to get to know ourselves as the church. The Bible says that when you get saved, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when you have something new, it's important to get to know it. That way you can use it and be effective in the use of it. I told you the other day, my my wife bought me a new watch, and uh, I'm still getting to figure it out. You know, watches don't just tell time anymore. They do so much more than tell time. And I was looking at the apps that are on my watch, and I counted them today. There's 28 different apps on my watch. (laughs) I've been figuring out what they all do. It tells me my blood pressure and my pulse and all this other stuff. And I I think it secretly has an app where she's listening to me. And when I grumble under my my breath, you know, I think she can hear me. And things along, I think you can see me when I roll my eyes at her. I think it's watching me. So sometimes I just flip it over on the bottom where she can't keep up what's going on. But I've been trying to get to know my watch you know, I'm sure my wife paid uh, several dollars for it and I want to be able to use it for all that it's worth. I want to use all the components that are there and if it can do something, I want to figure out how it does it and I want to make sure that I use it to the fullest extent of what it was designed to do. It does more than just tell time, but I've got to get to know it. It's a lot of the way with the body of Christ. The Bible says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new creatures, and we need to get uh, affiliated, if you will, and we need to get uh, comfortable with all the, the different moving parts of the body of Christ. And so, too often in our Christian life, we don't get to know all that we're capable of. I think the church is probably operating only on about 10% of our capacity. Uh, The Bible says we have all power given to us. And when God brings the body of Christ together, we have all of these different parts that could make increase to the glory of God. But so often we are achieving, as my fifth grade report card says, below our apparent ability. And so we've got to take the time. i still got it, by the way. I kept, I kept it and I hung on to it. By the way, that was the lowest grade I ever made. Once I realized that, hey, I wasn't doing as good as I could have been doing, it made me motivated me to work harder. Now, we as Christians need to get to know who we are as part of the body of Christ that we can fulfill all that God has left us here to do. I don't think we even scratched the surface of our capability. I mean, you think about the room of this size. You know, God took 12 people. Christ took 12 people, 12 men, and he shook the known world with just 12. And as best I can count, I was homeschooled most of the time, but as best I can count, there's more than 12 in here, amen? There's more than 12 of us, and God could use us to his glory if we just realized what we were capable of doing. Now, Ephesians talks about the body of Christ, and it describes in great detail what we're capable of doing. And I want you to look all the way to the end of chapter 2. I want to show you the destination, really summed up in one verse, what he's called us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, watch the end of the verse. The Bible says, "...in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." Now, that's just a condensed verse that really describes our theme and all the different pieces. The Bible says we are builded together. Do you know what I saw in verse number 22? I saw the first three points of the message on the Vision Sunday. Watch close. In whom ye are builded, there's the fitted. The Bible uses the word together. There's the committed part. The Bible says it's the habitation of God. It's not of us. It's of God. There's the submitted part. The Bible says that we as the church, we as the body of Christ are what? A habitation of God through the Spirit. That means we should be working toward becoming engaged, doing our part, finding and fulfilling the will of God that we might be a habitation. What is that? A habitation is where something lives, All right? We should be growing in Christ. We should be seeking and fulfilling the will of God and then be a representative of something as a people and as a place where God lives. You know, that's what the Word of God is here to do for us. This is not just a book that we read that we can get gold stars by our name in heaven. No, what this book does is it shows us how to become more like Christ and how we can fulfill his will and how, believe it or not, here we are, all of us are just sinners saved by grace, but how through keeping the word of God and obedient to the word of God become someone that represents a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, too often, too often in our life, we live by our opinions I think, you know, I I get in a lot of uh, conversations with people, and uh, they'll say, what does the Bible say about this? And I'll just tell them what the Bible says. I think it's best just to let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible's pretty clear. It's written on the fifth grade reading level, and we just read it and do what it says. We'd be a whole lot better than trying to re-figure out what the Bible has to say, Does the Bible interpret itself. And we read the Bible. We don't have to use our opinions. Now, you may be better than I am, but I'm probably at best 50-50. Uh, my wife would probably say, you know, 30, 70 on, on my opinions working out. But look, you don't have to live by your opinion. Look, you don't even have to live by what you think. For you smart folks, that may be hard to do. For folks like me, it's an easy out. I don't have to live by what I think. I just think about and live by what God says. Now, here's what's important. You say, well, I think this, and I like this, and I, I want things this way. Well, it may be suitable that you live that way. But look, we're to be a habitation of God. It's not about how I want to live. It's how I should live that my life could reflect a habitation of God. This is why Romans 12 two, The Bible says that we are to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's my, listen, it's my duty. It is my calling and my command that through my life I prove what is acceptable to God. Now where do we find that? We find that in the word of God. Verse 22 says our life should be The goal that we should work toward Is to be a habitation of God So how do we get to verse 22 What a blessing it would be if we all Adopted verse 22 as a goal Individually and then collectively As a church That this place Throughout 2020 we're going to work hard Be obedient to the word of God That this place would be a place That when people come in off the streets They can say God's here God's here You ever been in a church like that? Boy, I have. It's not always the biggest one. It's not always the best one. But man, you can hear it in the music. God's here. You can hear it in the people. God's here. Wouldn't it be great if you were at work and uh, you got to know your coworkers and after a while you got the reputation of someone that God lives in there? You know, they might be the richest person, the smartest person, but man, there's God is in there. That's what we should be aspiring to. But how do we get to verse number 22? That's the goal. we got a lot of work to do before we can get there. So if that's the end, let's go back to the beginning and look at verse number 1. Go all the way back to verse number 1. And we're going to see how we work toward becoming that habitation of God by being engaged. Now here's where it gets tough. Verse number 1, verse number 2, and verse number 3. Show us who we were before we got saved and who we became after we trusted Christ. What's interesting is you read verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3, you'll see that as soon as we got saved... And we sought to become engaged in the will of God to find our role and fulfill God's will in our life before we could become engaged. Now tonight, uh, this guy got, got picked to be the lost one, okay? And that one will be the saved one tonight. We'll try to swap it up just to be equitable next time. But when we moved from being lost and being engaged in a lifestyle that was contrary to the word of God, We got saved, we start moving toward a life and being engaged in a life that is pleasing to God. In order to move from this life to that life, there were some things we had to disengage from. All right? You can't be engaged in this life and be engaged in that life at the same time, it's impossible. All right? So if we desire as a church to become a habitation of God and be fully engaged to find our place and our part and our purpose and the will of God, the only way that we can become engaged in that is to disengage from that. So tonight, we're going to look at the subject. Last week, we looked at getting re engaged. Tonight, we're going to look at the subject of getting disengaged to make increase. Getting disengaged to make increase. I will to give you an illustration that. It's amazing how the Lord reminds you of things you may have forgot. About 12 years ago, I was preaching uh, with a group of preachers in Africa, and we were in Uganda. And one of the days, we were, we were going to another village. On the way to the village, we stopped by a place called Murchison Falls. Uh, it's been on several television shows, a beautiful animal preserve. It's where you get to go and go on a real safari. I'm in a real so far, and I could tell you stories, but we don't have time for that tonight. And You get to the edge of the Nile River and to your right is Murchison Falls where the Nile River narrows down and squeezes through a crack in the rocks about 20 feet wide, beautiful waterfalls. And so we're sitting there at the, at the base of the river. I think I have a picture of it for you. This is not us, but it's a picture of the place. And we're sitting there at the base of the river, and the only way to cross the river is about a quarter of a mile wide. We have that picture, guys. Is it up there yet? There we go. The only way to cross that river is to get on this ferry, Okay, that's a ferry, believe it or not. And that's a 15-passenger van. So if that's a 15-passenger van, then that's a ferry, absolutely. And so you drive in on top of this thing. Do we have another picture, guys? I think we have another one. I'll show you. And that's what you do. You just kind of stack in on top of this ferry. That water is teeming with hippopotamus. Uh, That water is teeming with crocodiles. I mean, it's the real deal. There's stuff there that will eat you in those woods, okay? So you drive down on top of this, and depending upon how many cars there are, depending on how deep the thing sinks into the water. We were loaded on the trip that I was on, and I'm talking about, we're about four inches. Let me show you a picture that's similar. I, I couldn't find my pictures. This is what it looks like. You're literally inches from the water. I mean, you're 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 right there with the hippopotamuses and, and the crocodiles. So we drive our 15-passenger van down on the ferry, and uh, I saw the men over there working on the motor for the ferry. And I'm thinking, good night, man. You know, come on, now we need to we need to work on this. And flip to the next picture, guys. I'm going to show you how this worked. If you look closely, you'll see two yellow masses on that ship. Two big pieces of machinery. They're yellow. So here's what it is. The one motor, my goodness, I am getting this thing all tangled up tonight. The one motor pulls you this way. The other motor pulls you that way. Now here's why he was working on it. They only had one starter between the two motors. So they would drive, brrr, they'd drive all the way over here, and they'd pull the starter off. And they'd run the starter back over here, and they put the starter off, brrr, and they go all the way back. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding we're about to get on this thing, and this thing, there's a hippopotamus. Look, you may not realize that those dudes are fast. It's like torpedoes coming in out of the water, and there's crocodiles and all of this stuff, mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff out there will kill you. And they had this one starter. And so here's what they would do. When they wanted to go this way, they would disengage the motor and come put it over here on this guy. When they wanted to go that way, they would disengage the motor, and they would come put it over on this guy. Now, think about this tonight, All right. The direction they wanted to go was all dependent upon which motor was engaged, all right? If they had to decide, if I want to go that way, I've got to disengage this one. If I want to go that way, I've got to disengage this one. Now, as a child of God tonight, your direction is going to be directly determined upon which side you decide to disengage from. Watch, if you're over here and you're living as the lost man and you want to be engaged over there, the only hope you have to be engaged in the will of God, finding your part, fulfilling your purpose, is to disengage from this one. There's no way. Look, there's no way that you can stay here and be a part of that. And then, watch this, if you want to stay here, you must choose to stay disengaged from that. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 is going to show us Three simple things. I know you're surprised that it's three. It takes a lot of talent to shrink it down into three, okay? So give me some credit for being able to do that. Last week we did two and we were out late. So I thought, you know, maybe we should do that. But I want to give you three things that we disengage from here tonight. And what you choose to disengage from will decide what you do for the cause of Christ. Look at verse number one. The Bible says in you, now who's he talking to? He's talking to the church at Galatia. He's talking to save people. And you, have he quickened? who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, before I give you these things, it's important to notice verse number one, he's speaking to save people. The only way that you can be engaged in the purpose and the plan and to find your place is you gotta be saved, all right? The place that you have is the place that you find after you get saved. So that's why verse one says, he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Can I tell you something? Dead things are not engaged, there's a black dog down here on the side of highway 49. He has not moved in the past 3 or 4 days. He hasn't been engaged in chasing cars, he hasn't barked for the first time, he hasn't accomplished anything. Why? Because he's dead. Some of you have been hoping he was asleep. He's not. He's dead. In my office, I have some a very beautiful collection of mediocre animals hanging on the wall in my office. I've never engaged them in conversation. They've never engaged me in conversation. They have never helped one time to do anything around my office or to clean off my desk. They have never done anything productive whatsoever in my office. Do you know why? Guess what? They're dead. You know what I can't help but wonder? We see so many Christians that are unproductive. They're not engaged in anything. They never seem to have a desire to be engaged in anything. I just can't help but wonder if a lot of folks maybe think they're saved. They're not really saved. Because look, living things, look, living things contribute. They get engaged. They're involved. And if you ever see a sign of life, look, I've been watching that dog. I've been watching him. He's done nothing for the past three days. Why? He's dead. And after a while, you watch Christians and you watch Christians and you watch Christians and you never see any sign of life. Makes you wonder if they're saved or not. This is what Second Timothy, the Bible, Paul warns about people who have a form of godliness. A form of godliness. The Bible says denying the power. There's nothing there. They look like, you know, my elk looks alive. I have an elk hanging in my office. And if you've never seen a trophy elk, you need to come see mine. If you have seen a trophy elk, don't come see mine. There's two people, two types of people who come see my animals back there, and they look at that elk and they'll go, "Wow, did you kill that?" But yeah, you know they've never seen a trophy elk. And then you have those other people who walk in there all snooty, and they say, "Did you kill that?" Like you shot somebody's dog, you know. He looks so small. He's so so little. My elk, he looks real. Man, you look into his eyes, he's even got this violet color, blue pupils. I mean, it's just a beautiful, he looks alive, but he's only a form. He's only a form. He has no life. He has no power. He can't do anything. There's a lot of Christians that way. I fear we have a form of godliness. We look like it and we talk like it, but there's never any life, no signs of life. Why? Because we have a form, but we deny the power thereof. So there's three things in these verses. I'm going to cover them quickly. Uh, And then I'm going to give you the good news at the end, okay? I'm going to give you the bad news first and the good news at the end. That way you leave here not mad at me, all right? So number one tonight, let's look at what what to disengage from, all right? What to disengage from. The Bible says in verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. There's something to see right at the beginning of verse number 2 where Paul's speaking to the church. Watch the understanding, He's not commanding them to do this. He's speaking with an understanding that the things he's about to cover are in their past. Why? Because as a Christian, look, it ought to be understood that some things should stay in the past. All right? We've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from things being understood as old things are passed away, all things become new. We've gotten away from that in the church. We've got this soft, squishy spirituality that blends the two together. But Paul just speaks understanding. Watch verse 2. We're in times past. Look, he's automatically assuming it's in the past. We're in times past. You walked according to the course of this world. So notice what he says. That after you got saved, verse 1 is when you got saved. After you got saved, what's in your past? Number one, you're disengaged from the course of this world. Disengaged from the course of this world. What does that mean? Well, the course of this world means the establishment, the way of life, the culture of the world. Paul says in times past, Paul says when you were lost, you lived according to the course of the world. That means you just did what they did. All right? You were in lockstep with the world. You did what they did. You liked what they liked. You're kind of in the loop. When I read that word course, it reminded my illustrious track career that I had in junior high school. I had kind not of have blown out my knee, you know, all those stories that we, uh, we think we could have and use an excuse because we didn't. Amen. When I used to run track, you know, track's like an oval. Okay, that oval? I think about a loop, all right? You run that course, you're kind of running that loop. Paul says this. He says, when you were lost in times past, you were in the loop. You are running the course of the world, All right. But he says, look, after you got saved and now you're seeking to be engaged, you're seeking verse 22 to become a habitation of God. He says, that's in the past. You don't run that course anymore. All right? He says, look, if you want to run, aren't you? Isn't it neat that, that the Bible uses the word course to describe our new race and our old race? And that needs so It's like the same person wrote it. I'm telling you, there's a common denominator here somewhere. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe just be God, you know? Paul says, you used to run this course. You used to run this course. You used to live according to the way of the world. You did, look, you sat at the world's table and you could not wait for the newest fad to come out. You couldn't wait for the newest ideas to come out, the new music to come out. But he says, that's in the past. If you want to become a habitation of the Lord and be involved and engaged and and fulfill your purpose, you're going to have to disengage from that course so that you can run that one. You can't run two courses at the same time. So what do you got to do? You got to decide which course you want to be a part of. Now here's, here's what's scary. If I'm going to leave this course and put this course behind me, And I'm going to leave this one so that I can run this race. What did Paul say? he got ready to die. I have finished my what? Of course, he wasn't talking about that one. He's talking about this one. You see, he disengaged from that one on the road to Damascus. He cut loose from this one and says, I'm going to run this one. Do you know what it's called when you leave that one to come to this one? After you get saved, it's called separation. He separated from this one. To come and so we get run on. I'm getting my exercise tonight. My watch is going to tell me you did good tonight. I get my exercise in. Here's what you got to understand. This is what the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Why? God says because you're not on that course anymore. You got to disengage from that course. It's on our young people in chapel the other day. Look, the reason their mom and dad pay money to send them to Central Baptist School. Look, is we might turn out some Christian, which means Christ-like young people. They're not on that course anymore. The sad thing is, look, backsliding is real, all right? We live in a flesh body who loves that. Most of the time when I get in intense fellowship with people about the scary thing of separation, you know what, you know what really is the tough part about it? Is we're attached to this. And we like running in this loop. We like running in this course because, man, it, it fit, we fit in better here. Man, if I have to leave this one... To come over here to this one, those people are going to think I'm weird. And look, we talk about peer pressure for our kids. We succumb to it as adults, just as bad or even worse. Paul says, you got saved, you're going to have to disengage from the course of this world. Do you remember 1 Samuel chapter number 8 when um, Samuel's getting old and the Bible says that Israel comes to Samuel and says, give us a king, give us a king. If you keep reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8, look at why they asked God for a king. or They asked Samuel for a king. They said, we might be like the other nations. We want to be like them. And here's what God tells Samuel. He says, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. You see, when we seek to be in the loop, this loop, look, I have people get mad at me. Look, I'm going to try to preach what the Bible says. I'm just being I'm trying to be because I love you. I really do. You go to a doctor, you want him to tell you the truth, right? Right? And you pay him for that. Man, you go to a mechanic, you pay through the nose for him to tell you the truth. And look, man, you folks pay me. I at least ought to tell you the truth. Amen? I'm telling you the truth. Look, most folks who get mad at me, it's not really me they're getting mad at. I'm just the front guy. They really get mad at God. Samuel said they've not He told Samuel They're not rejecting you Samuel They're rejecting me They've decided you know what We would rather run this course Than run that course I'm telling you folks If you want to be engaged in the will of God And find and fulfill your purpose You're going to have to disengage From the course of this world You're going to have to let that go And boy that's tough Let me show you why it's tough Verse 2 says You walked according to the course of this world That means you lived According to the course of what the world had demanded According to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we see the course at the beginning of verse 2. But look at the end of verse number 2. We see the company of the world. You see, that course has a company. Some people that kind of come with it. And some, sometimes, or maybe more times than not, our course chooses our company, or our company is going to choose our course. Think about that. Either your course that you choose is going to choose your company, or you're going to let your company, the people that you like to run with, they're going to choose your course for you. We use the quote with our teenagers. I tried to find out who said it, but I couldn't figure out whoever who said it, so I'm just going to quote it and let it fall where it may, that you show me your friends and I will show you your future. Same way for us as adults, show us who we run with and I can show you where you're headed. So often this is where we're running. This is the loop we want to stay in. Why? Because these people, man, that this is like who I used to be and I'm more comfortable being I, who I used to be rather than who God's calling me to be. You see, that's why we're comfortable there. That's who we've always been. But this is who God's calling us to. And you may have to disengage from number 1, the course of the world, but number 2, the company of the world. One of the most difficult decisions as a Christian is to leave behind people that we have been so used to running with. This is why 1 Peter 4 4, the Bible says, they think it's strange. Listen closely. They, the people you used to run with, they think it's strange that you run not with them. I want to be honest with you. I do the best I can with my looks, okay? But you can only work with what you got. Amen. You hear those people pray all the time, Lord, hiding behind the cross. I begin to realize they think I'm ugly. You know, they want to get a big cross up here in front of the pulpit. That way they don't have to look at my face. You hear my voice, but I don't have to look at my face. Do the best look. Do the best with with what I got. Man, I, I don't like my hair to be sticking up, and it, it ain't sticking much up anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't, like to, I don't like to stand out. I don't like people laughing at me. Oh, I get so self-conscious, folks laughing at you and stuff like that. And I just, I would rather be loved by everybody, wouldn't you? Be embraced by everybody. Nobody talk about it. Nobody pick on you. And man, when when you start to watch, you start start to disengage and you start coming over here. And in the peer pressure of them that think it's strange that you run not with them. And man, it starts weighing on you. Oh, I feel so uncomfortable that I'm not going and running with them. And I'm not running with their loop and their course anymore. And oftentimes it's the company of the world that drags us back over here because we couldn't stand the peer pressure of disengaging from that. Paul says there's the course, and then number two, the children of disobedience, you've got to learn to disengage from them. Matthew chapter four, we see Jesus calling his disciples. He calls Andrew, Peter, and he says, follow me. And the Bible says they left their nets and followed him. But then go on in Matthew chapter four, and verse number four, or or, I'm sorry, verse 22. And the Bible says this, he came to James and John, and they were there with their dad, Zebedee, And he said, follow me. But this time, in the word of God, and by the way, I believe every word in there is on purpose. The Bible says they left the ship and their father. Now, their father wasn't bad. But I got to tell you what their father was. He was on a different course that they were. You see, Jesus had called them to a different course. And they had to decide, am I going to disengage from this course and this company Or am I going to stay here? Look, the Bible says they left their father, the ship and their father, their course and their company. I hate to tell you this, but there are times you're going to have to disengage from certain company that may not always be bad company. You know, there are times people that I have nothing against them and they're not bad people, but they're not on the same course that I'm on. And you have to be careful letting good people distract you from the right course, he said, but well, this is my family. This is my dad. It, looked, it was their dad. It was their dad. But they couldn't let their dad keep them from the course that God was calling them to. We've got to learn to disengage. Disengage from the course that we were on and disengage from the company at times. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 the Bible tells us, Be not deceived. Anytime God tells you, Be not deceived, you better pay close attention. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Bible says don't fool yourself into thinking you're going to get away with it. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Be not fooled. Don't fool yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Do you know what manners are? It's a way of life. Evil communications, that means fellowship, evil communication. By the way, it's not just in the flesh, it could be on the phone. I'm telling you, the two biggest threats through your Christian walk, it's either skin or screen. Either comes in the form of skin or the form of screen. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about this thing right here of that thing that sits on our desk that laptop, that computer you better beware, evil the Bible says don't you fool yourself into thinking that you can hang around evil communications what is evil? anything contrary to the word of God anything contrary he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin the Bible says that will corrupt you don't you fool yourself thinking, you know what? I know that they're not that, but you know what? I can hang around them, and I can flip the switch, and I can go back over here and go back over here. Let me tell you a beautiful picture. You see, I'm going to be like that starter on that ferry. I'm just going to go this way a little bit, and then after Sunday's over, Sunday night, I'm going to go back over here. You know, back and forth. Say something, something about that ferry. It never went anywhere. Never went anywhere. It went sometimes, but it never went anywhere. Do you know why so many Christians are exactly where they were this time last year? It's because they keep going back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. You can't do it that way. Sooner or later, the evil communications or that company or that other course, it's going to corrupt you. He says, well, I'm only over here because I'm going to win them to Christ. How noble. But the word corrupt doesn't mean make them better. It means it's going to make you worse. So you better disengage from it. I think all of us have probably seen batteries. Every time I think corrupt, I think batteries. You know, those batteries start corroding. It starts eating up your flashlight and starts eating up the other batteries. And the next thing you know, the whole flashlight's out the window. Why? It corrupted it. Now, folks, if the Bible says, Be not deceived that evil communications corrupt good manners, write it down. And you will prove the will of God to be true, either by your survival or by your demise. But you're going to prove God's word to be right. You're never going to prove God's word to be wrong. So number one, what do we disengage from? Well, verse 2 says, the course of this world. You can't run that course and fulfill that purpose. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to cut loose from something. The second thing is the company of the world. And the third thing I want to show you real quickly Look down in verse number three. The Bible says, among whom also we all had. By the way, I love that little word all. That means every one of us was rotten. Every one of us. Even the super Christians we know. We were all this way. Among whom also we all had our conversation. In times past, now watch what our conversation was. That means our lifestyle, the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The third thing you're going to have to disengage with tonight is probably the toughest because this one thing really affects the other two things we just talked about, and that's the conversation of the world. You're going to have to disengage from the conversation of the world. Now, let me explain exactly what that means. The word conversation means lifestyle. Now, look at the lifestyle in verse 3. What was the lifestyle about? The lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. You see, the conversation of the world is a lifestyle that's centered around pleasing self. Look at our world. I mean, if you want it, you just go get it. If you want to live that way, go live that way. And nobody ever dare say anything about it because that's the way you want to live. That's the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And I'm going to tell you this. The difference in this lifestyle and this course and this company and that one is that one seeks to please self and that one seeks to be a habitation of God. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's all about what God wants. Folks, understand this tonight. You're going to either choose your way or you're going to choose God's way. That's really what it boils down to. You're, look, when you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm either am, I'm going to get engaged this year, or I'm going to stay exactly where I was, it's a decision basically boiling down to I'm going to have what I want or what God wants. That's it. You see, all throughout Scripture, those that were successful, who went on to defy the odds of being nobodies, becoming something in the purpose of God, and it was simply because they chose God's way over their way. This is something you're going to have to learn to do on a daily basis. Do you know how you choose to disengage from that course? You decide, I'm not going to do what I want. I want what God wants. Do you know how you choose to disengage from that company? See, you know what? I choose what God wants, not what I want. The course of this world, the conversation of this world, it's a lifestyle that seeks to please self. I'll give you a verse. Turn with me to your left, to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 7.56 for those of you that are wondering 2 Corinthians chapter 5 I'll tell you I'll try to be a full service pastor even tell you the time 2 Corinthians 5 look down if you would to verse 15 the Bible says in that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again What is this telling us? It says, well, we get saved. It's not about the course that I want to run and what I want to do. It's not about the people that I want to hang around and the people that I like. The Bible says, I don't henceforth live for myself. That's the conversation of that life. The conversation or lifestyle after I get saved is where I'm just seeking to do and to live for the one that died for me. I mean, do you realize tonight, every one of us, the Bible says he died for all. Boy, that that kind of makes you feel special clear Clearinghouse is always mailing me these things in the mail. Get my hopes up. And they just let me down. I feel like I'm the winner. Isn't it neat how they make it look like handwritten notes? You are the winner. I promise. Look, I'm going to tithe off of it if I win. But the odds are I'm never going to win. They're going to let me down. I got some news that will never let you down. Somebody died for you. The Bible says, look, when you get saved, you no longer henceforth live for self and what I want. My conversation is to live for the one that died for me. And folks, you've got to learn to disengage from what I want and seek what he wants. And by the way, in the end, you'll be better for it. Because what we want will eventually corrupt us. So how do we do that? How do we we disengage from this life, the course of this world, the company of this world, and the conversation of the world? Well, the answer is down in verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins, the Bible says, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. Look at verse number eight. For by grace are ye saved. Here's what happens. We say, this is too hard. I cannot disengage from this course. I cannot disengage from this company. I cannot disengage from this conversation. It's just too hard. There's no way that I can do it. You're exactly right. But there is something that will make it possible and it's called grace. The second thing tonight, the second point is how do you disengage? Well, it's simply what verse 5 and verse 8 says. It's by grace. It's by grace. How did we go from being dead to living? For by grace. Grace is like the bridge that gets us from here to there. We could not do it on our own. It's kind of like the ferry in the pictures. There's no way we could cross it on our own. We would not survive. But thank the Lord, there's this ferry called grace that gets us from there to there. That's how we got saved. And can I tell you something? As a child of God tonight, you may still have backslidden. And could we even get a little worse than that? I don't think we backslid. I think we backran a lot of times. Backsliding gives us the idea that we were trying to move forward I think a lot of us we just turned around and went right back to it because we're comfortable with it And we're here tonight as a child of God and we look at that over there and I want to be involved in 2020 I want to be engaged in 2020. I want to find my purpose and fulfill God's will in 2020. How am I going to let go of this course? How do I disengage from this company? How do I disengage from this conversation? The grace of God The same grace that saved your soul and got you from where you are to where you are now as a child of God is the same grace that will help us disengage from this course and company and conversation and embrace the purpose which God has called us to in the new year. So here's the invitation tonight, very simply. I think every one of us ought to spend some time talking to God. He says, he he tells us in his word that his grace is sufficient, It means no matter how far back you've gone and you are over here, his grace is sufficient to get us to where we need to be, to where we please him again. We ought to spend time before God tonight and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to disengage from this culture. I'm going to disengage from this company. I'm going to disengage from this conversation. And by the grace of God, I'm going to find and fulfill his will for my life at this church in this year. But you'll not do it without grace. So many people, they've tried it on their own. I'm I'm going to clean myself up. No, you're not. Only by the grace of God. Let me tell you something. There's a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he was so deeply entrenched in this life, in this way, and in this world. And then all of a sudden, we find him over here. I'm talking about fulfilling the will of God. We find God using him. How did he get from there to there? Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He disengaged from all of that. All to go and become a preacher, as John Newton would say, for the gospel for which he sought to destroy. How do you bridge that gap? Well, it's by grace. Paul told Timothy, he warned him that no man that warreth becomes entangled. No man that wars, who's trying to do the will of God, gets entangled. But I'll tell you, there's times we get entangled, don't we? You ever have one of those fishing rods, you know? I'm a Zebco 33 man. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. You guys have got them two and $300 fishing poles. Congratulations, more power to you. I'm a push button Zebco 33 man. I have about 12 to 15 of them from the 1960s all the way up to present day. Let me tell you, I can give you a run for your money with your fancy reel and me and my Zebco. I'm not going to put money on it because, but anyway, you know, I, I can work that thing. But if mine bought me one of those bait casting reels, you know, and I spent probably two of the 3 hours on the boat sitting here with this big wad of stuff he said it was fun i didn't, i never found it but he said it was fun you know like yeah this is a blast you know you cast once and you pull for 15 minutes cast once you pull for 15 minutes and it's called call it backlashed big old wad of string and i'm thinking to myself there's no way there's no way. I'm done. Just might as well put my pole down. Where's my zebco? Give my zebco. That, that I've never had that happen with a zebco. I'm just throwing that out there, you know? He comes over there and he starts pulling and pulling. Just a few minutes, man. It's back, back to good. And it's functioning again. Now, a lot of times, as Paul warned Timothy, look, we get entangled again, don't we? We're doing good. Galatians 5, you did run well, and then something hinders us. And we end back over here, and we're tangled up again in the world's culture. We're, we're tangled up again with that company, and you're thinking, there's no way. There's no way. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Why don't you decide if the grace of God is sufficient, you're going to claim it. You're going to claim it to disengage from this and get engaged in the will of God at Central Baptist Church this year. I don't care how bad your life is entangled in that. I'm talking about saved people now. No matter how bad your life's entangled with that and your company and, and you're all entangled with the course of this world and the conversation of this world, by the grace of God, it's sufficient to get you from where you are to where you need to be. I'll give you this and I'm done. Turn with me real quickly. John chapter 18, quickly. All right? John chapter 18. I want you to see something. This is the good news. John chapter 18. Look at Verse 15. Jesus has just been arrested. He's brought before Caiaphas. John chapter 18, verse 15. The Bible says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But, but Peter stood afar off. Watch this. Remember, Peter was engaged. Was engaged, but now he's standing afar off. He's backslid just a little bit, if you will. Keep reading. The Bible says, But Peter stood at the door without, and then went out at the other disciple, which was known as the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel, verse 17, they kept the door unto Peter, thou Art thou also one of this man's disciples, he saith, I am not. So man, just a little while early in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter was engaged. And now he is backsliding. He denies Christ once. He denies Christ twice. He denies Christ three times. Next thing you know, that guy that just a little while ago was engaged has now become entangled again. Oh, his life has backlashed really, really bad. You're thinking there's no way out of this. Now turn five chapters to your right. Acts chapter 2. Five chapters to your right. Acts chapter number 2. The day of Pentecost, Christ has been Christ has been uh, crucified already. Imagine the guilt Peter has. But yet, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Long story short, just five chapters later, the guy that was so entangled, man, the guy that had backslid so far, Somewhere along the line, disengaged from all of that, is now back over here in his purpose, preaching the word of God. 3,000 people got saved that day. 3,000 people got saved that day. How on earth could the guy go from serving God, he backslid all the way back over here, and how could he finally get back over here serving God? The grace of God. The grace of God. So tonight I want to ask you a question. Where are you at between here and there? All of us tonight are somewhere between here and there. All of us are either engaged or we're backsliding and getting entangled again, or maybe you've got so wound up in the world again, you're thinking, there's no hope for me. By the grace of God, you can. By the grace of God, you can, but you have got to choose to disengage. So I've got to to disengage. I've got to cut those apron strings between me and the course of this world. I'm too entangled. I've got to cut the apron strings between me and some company of this world and the conversation of this world. Why? Because by the grace of God, I want to be engaged. You ought to go to your father tonight and say, by your grace this year, I'm going to be engaged. Now, I've got to tell you, you may be here tonight, you've never trusted Christ Man, our lie, your life is so entangled up in this stuff, in the culture of the world, in the conversation, in the company of the world. You're so tangled up in the world, you're thinking, There's no way I could ever be saved. There's no way I could ever be a part of that. Can I tell you? For by grace, you can be saved just like I was. But you've got to choose that. Go back to chapter two, don't do it right now. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That grace will do the job, but you've got to put faith in it. If you'll put your faith in His grace, you can de- disengage from that, and you have a home in heaven just like I did. But you've got to choose that. Tonight, whether you need to be saved or you're seeking to serve, it'll be done only by grace. After you choose, I'm going to be disengaged. I choose to put my faith in what God said. Heads are bowed tonight and eyes are closed. Let's